الله أكبر الله أكبر Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Islamic Center at New York University podcast coming to you straight from the heart of New York City. We're building an amazing Muslim community here at ICNYU where everyone is welcomed and respected no matter where you're from or where you're at. This is the place to be. So open your ears and your heart and come along with us on another life-changing journey. Bismillah. We we're approaching the end of Ramadan. I know for some of you, it's your first time fasting. For some of you, um, it's your first Ramadan as a Muslim, and some of you are still kind of experiencing what your spiritual journey is. Um, and then some of us were born into it. Uh, but to give an understanding, it's kind of an entry point now as we're getting towards the end of Ramadan, and we're gonna have a holiday in a couple of days how some of this fits into just a broader framework of what our foundational understandings of Islam as a religion. And you probably heard me say this a couple of times because when we started talking about fasting, um, we talked about it linked to the essential value of consciousness as like the verse in the Quran states, um, that that's what the idea is beyond fasting, right? That it's an act that is potentially able to yield within its practitioner um, a sense of mindfulness, a sense of consciousness rooted in the presence of the divine. But that's not something that just exists kind of intangibly, it exists very tangibly, um, but not in a way that we might think about it so much. It exists in an inward state, not an external state. Does this make sense so far, what I'm saying? Yeah. So what I wanted us to talk about today was just a basic outline of what is like a Islamic paradigm on the psychology or the framework of the self, right? Because so much about Ramadan is getting attuned to parts of yourself that quite often are neglected day to day to not just focus on the physicality of the situation, but to focus on what is metaphysical to focus on parts of ourselves that are definitely there, but we're not necessarily engaging them so much. What I'd like for us to do in just the first few minutes, so we can get people kind of talking and getting acclimated to the space, if you just turn to the person next to you, uh, if you don't know them, share your names, introduce yourselves. But in this idea of like what makes me me as a whole person, what are like the different parts that make you, you, right? You're not just your physical body, but your body is there. And if I was to say what makes your physical in its entirety, you could talk about your feet and your hands and whatever else. But if we're now talking about what makes you who you are bigger than your physical, what comes to mind for you? What are things that are still a part of you, but they're not just rooted in what is physical, but they are other elements that are still there with you nonetheless. So you need to turn to the person next to you. Um, what makes us who we are in our entirety? Like if I said, what is yourself made up of? What are different ways we could answer that? If you could talk to the person next to you, 
exchange names if you don't know, and then we'll come back and discuss. But go ahead. Okay, so what are some of the things that are coming up for people? Like if somebody asked you, my seven-year-old walks in and he says, what makes me me? Like what are the different parts of me? And not in the sense of just telling him, here's your toes and here's your pinky and here's this and here's that, but answering it at a level in terms of what makes you you in your entirety, what are some of the things that make you you? Like what are you made up of? What did you discuss? Yeah. I think that like a theme I learned from us three is that it, you know, we are a part of our environment and, you know, kind of like our place in that, that environment. Um, that's as far as I think we could develop. <laughs> we could develop um, our definition of ourselves, but but I I I think I heard that between what I shared and what. Okay. What part of you is impacted by your environment? So, so well, what? Well, yeah, I mean, that you don't, you don't um, a soul, you know, values, the meaning, uh, the meaning that I make of things, um, the, the, the way, the, the beauty that I find in things, um, my emotional response to things, um, I don't know if that's answering your question. It is, yeah. And we want to think, what are the seats of these places, right? Like if I said the food that you eat, where does it go once you consume it? You know it's going to go through your mouth. It's going to go down your throat. A bunch of different things are going to happen. Part of it's going to stay in you. Part of it's going to also exit from you. But the physicality of it, you can describe, right? So all of these things, perspective, the ability to like see beauty, all these things that you're saying, where do they reside? Like what parts of you does that kind of function from? Right, because the eye can see something, but you can see something and you can see something. It can be the same exact thing, but you could both see it differently. And how you see it is not just about what your physical eye is seeing, but how you see it is about other parts of you influencing it. And what I'm saying is what parts of you are like the containers of these things? They just don't like kind of roam freely and like an aura around you, like they exist somewhere, right? Do you get what I mean? And this is an important thing to understand because when you look at Islam as a religion, you can take an Islam 101 class, someone can say, here's what it means to be Muslim, you're gonna get a lot of just like the mechanics of things, the externals of things. What Islam as a religion offers to one who practices it, engages it, is beyond just empirical understandings of evidence, the how and the what in terms of functions. It can answer a lot of things of why, that once you start to answer those questions of why, they give a basis of real contentment and satisfaction. It's not just complacency, but we want to know how we function on a whole, especially in the aftermath of Ramadan, because Ramadan has been nourishing parts of us as we engage it. What are those parts so that we are conscious of those things and there's a continuation to the nourishment? There's not an abandonment of it that's not purposeful, but if you don't know where something is, then you're not going to be able to pay attention that it's there. Do, do you get what I mean? Does that make sense? So what else did we discuss in our, in our groups? 
Yeah. Um, you discussed about uh, we're saying like this Ramadan about the purpose of this life. Um, I always thought like the purpose of this life is to be happy, but uh, this and then something happened that in my happiest moments, like uh, suddenly I was so unhappy. So this Ramadan, I realized that our purpose is to make Allah happy. So we become happy and to serve people. So I kind of thought more than myself. Um, because I realized that, like as Allah said in Quran, uh, this life is temporary and uh, the other world is the real life. So if you think about that, I feel like I have more solid purpose. Amazing. And where does the solace exist in you? Um, in my mind. Okay, great. Uh, logic mind, emotional. Mind is a great answer, right? So, so far, if we're taking like definitive things that are parts of us, we've said like a soul and a mind, right? Do you get what I mean? Because the solace has to live somewhere, right? Does it live in your stomach? Do you get what I'm saying? Right, the place of realization, like where is that? You know, and understanding that these have like beginning points because you can understand what it is by understanding what it's not. If I said, I realize something and you said, where does realization exist? And I said, I think realization exists in my foot. You'd be like, no, like it doesn't exist in your foot. Everybody can understand that it doesn't exist in your foot, right? But narrowing it down to understanding that it doesn't exist there still doesn't bring us to a place definitively of saying, well, where does it exist? And what we want to focus on today is understanding that there are distinct parts to us that don't have to exist in this ambiguity, that the recognition of those things can then further enhance the solace, the realization, the sense of elation, the experience of emotions and feelings, because it's not just it's just there, but there's parts of you that are functioning in the ways that whether we're conscious of it or not, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now we can understand and that they're there, then we can think about how do we fuel them and how do they exist and kind of balance with each other. Do you get what I mean? Because you're not just going to go to learn about Islam or to practice Islam in the way that it's just about the outwards. You still gain from it. I don't have to know what a glass of water does to me in order to benefit from drinking from it, right? And maybe some of you know better than I do, but most of us probably don't really know what's happening inside of us when we eat the food that we eat. We just know like it's doing what it's supposed to do. So you can experience certain things and they can still give you some type of gain, but if you can distill what is actually going on, it can then help to inform choices and decisions that then say, well, if this is what was really creating this sense of realization within me, right? Regardless of what the realization is, I'm not saying like the idea or the thought that you became cognizant of is not a good or bad. That's not what I'm talking about. But the idea that you had to be able to be cognizant before you could be cognizant of something. Do you get what I mean? Where does that cognition lie within us, right? 
And it's not like a complicated conversation, but it's not something that gets discussed with us so bad, so much, especially as you get older. I mean, when you're like six years old, people give you golden rules. You don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Please and thank yous, these kinds of things. And when they sit down, you try to explain to a little kid, you know, why lying is bad to them or why lying is bad to somebody else, right? Why calling someone a name is a problem. And you would try to explain to a five or a six year old what's going on in the person that started to cry because you called them a bad word or a bad name or hurt their feelings. You're going to trickle it down to the capacity of a child, but most of us get exposed to understanding how people's hearts work only up until a certain age in our life, regardless of our faith. Now, when you get to like middle school or high school or even elementary school, or definitely college, nobody's ever telling you like, this is how like people's feelings function or this is how people's minds work, right? It's crazy. You could go into a bookstore and you can find entire sections that are about self-help, self-discovery, you know, how do I take care of myself? There's no book section that's about how do you take care of other people? How do you help other people? How do you see other people as whole beings, right? And part of the disconnect comes in that I don't see myself as a whole person. And what makes me me in my entirety? Where is the place of contentment, right? And you can think about it in a way that might seem simplistic. Does contentment lie in your fingernails? No, like it doesn't, but where does it exist? And if that's the thing that actually exists within you, why don't you pay more attention to it? That's what Islam also offers to his practitioner, a framework of the self that doesn't understand prayer and fasting and ritual as an ends, but a means to something. So as much as you learn the mechanics of a fast, you're also learning to fast with your heart. As much as you understand the mechanics of prayer, you're also learning how to see with your heart and pray with your heart. Do you get what I mean? So we had like a mind and a soul, right? You're definitely like a body. Everybody knows we have a body, right? What else goes into you? What makes you you? Any other thoughts? Yeah. I think when we discussed this, um, it's basically our consciousness or um, awareness of our existence. Um, I'm not sure physically where that lives. It's within the heart or the mind, but that's... Um, that's what makes us us. Amazing. So you added a third thing, right? You don't know if it's in the mind or the heart, but if it's in either one of those, then the heart is something. So here's a third part to you, right? So we have a mind, we have a soul, we have a heart. These are three things that are not the body, but they're still a part of us. Is there anything else that comes to mind? I was thinking about like action, right? Like what, um, I was saying like a, like a character non-negotiable of mine when I engage with other people. Um, I, li I like being in service to those who j just anywhere. If I see somebody who like needs a hand with something, I want to jump in. Um, it, it's something that integral to me gives me gratitude. It gives me joy. Um, makes me feel purposeful. Um, Great. And, that, and that's something that I can't get, you know, like many other places. Like, it's a very specific feeling that, um, like, a satisfying feeling that wells up in me. Amazing. Other thoughts before we kind of go into it more? Yeah. 
the values that we hold within us. And so, for example, it's like we're talking about honesty, and then how do we show up in the world using that value to other people? Great. So why is this is important conversation is because some of you have experienced an entire month of Ramadan and you've gone through a lot of things that have been pretty helpful in terms of just like experiencing the world a little bit differently. Doesn't mean that you're in a competition with anybody else, right? There's a young woman in our community who reached out to me. She said she started a new consulting job. It's the first Ramadan that she's traveling so much and she said, you know, I don't really get it. Like I had all these goals and now I'm just tired and I'm all over the country and I couldn't do this the way that I've done before. And I couldn't do that the way that I've done before. And her end result was in a place of self-deprecation where she said, you know, am I going to somehow be devoid of like connecting to God? Or is this indicative that I have like a weak relationship with God? So my response to her was like, look, everything changes. Right? Ramadan is not for me what it was when I was single, as it was after I got married, as it was after I had kids. It's not the same after my parents got elderly and they're ill. It's not the same as when we had a community that literally had this many people in it, and now it has like a thousandfold over this many people, right? This is a 10, 12,000 person community. Everything changes experientially as life changes, and there's adaptation, and there's malleability. The one thing that does not change is God. And God, why we talked about God in the very first class before we talked about anything else, because everything goes back to God. And so God does not change. And so too, like God's mercy does not change. God's love does not change. These are things that are constant. And where and how you have adaptability, it's important to understand this at the end of Ramadan because the days after Ramadan, they're not the same as what the days of Ramadan are like. And if you're not consciously aware of what makes you who you are in your entirety, it's really easy for self-deprecation to just come in and have unreasonable expectations of yourself that get rooted in a sense that like, maybe this religion is too tough for me. Maybe the religion's too hard for me. As opposed to not seeing the religion as something that's just about what is formulaic or just practice alone, but it synergizes with a theology that's very robust, as well as with a sense of ethics and values. They're not seen separate from each other. You get what I mean? So if we were to think about us in terms of what Islam posits is a framework of the self, there's definitely what is the physical body, And you don't have to know these words in Arabic, but this could be called the jasad or the badan. But then you have a lot more than that. So we have what's called the intellect. In Arabic, this is called the aql. It's the intellectual capacity to discern like right from wrong, but not rooted in a moral relativism, rooted in an understanding of what is by God's understanding of what's right and wrong, right? In aql, in the Quran, like on every page, it invites you to use your intellect. It tells you to like think 
to ponder, to reflect, to contemplate. You have what's called the nafs, the lower self. And this is called the nafs. The nafs is the same thing as like what people might describe as the ego when you're talking about things in terms of self-help and mindfulness. The nafs in its nature is something that is lazy, right? It doesn't want you to be generous. It doesn't want you to be charitable. It's gonna be what makes excuses. It's gonna render itself like in a place where it just tells you why you shouldn't be doing something, even if you have the capacity to get it done. Somebody else is gonna pick up the chairs that I just sat in, right? Someone else is gonna, you know, serve the food. I'm gonna, you know, not really go out of my way to say thank you to somebody. It's got like an inherent laziness to it, the lower self. Then you have what is just your sheer will and determination. In Arabic, this is called irada. And we have what is called the soul, the spirit. This is called the ruh. This is what essentially makes us who we are individually, right? So Islamic theology posits that before any of us came into existence in this world, all of our souls exist in an abode of the souls in the world beyond this one. And it's the soul that is making a journey through these like lived existences. So it goes from that place into the womb. It goes from there into this worldly existence and the bodies that we have from here. Death is not seen as something finite, but it's just a mechanism to get you into another worldly existence where the soul moves into an intermediary realm, the grave, and there's a resurrection, a day of accounting, and then there's eternal existence, right? But the soul is like what's kind of functioning within you individually. That's what Islam makes kind of theology posits. And then we have what's called the qalb, or the, the spiritual heart. Which is called the qalb. The qalb is essentially like what you want to have be sovereign over you, you and your entirety, right? Because like if here's, here's you, I don't know why your legs are off your body, but here's you. All of this exists within you. And some of it is rooted in the physical sense of things. So your spiritual heart has an intrinsic link to your physical heart. And the way we're even constructed in terms of our beings, you have like a higher self and a lower self. Ramadan is about learning how to make decisions from your mind and your heart, not from your stomach and your sexual organs. And getting to a place where there's a presence of your literal higher self and not your lower self in choices that you make. And what ends up happening is that it's not any one of these things, but it's all of these things that 
get cultivated in the course of a practice like Ramadan. But if there's not a deliberate recognition that these are things that make me who I am, it doesn't mean that just like you don't know how the water is refreshing you fully and hydrating you and nourishing you, that you're not benefiting from drinking the water, right? When you eat your food and it's giving you energy, and maybe some of you could, but most of us probably could not. I can't tell you like how it's functioning on a physiological level, the food, but it's doing something for me. Similarly, the practice is doing something for you, but not being aware of these other parts of what make you you is going to make it a lot easier to get to a place where the only thing that you pay attention to is what is most apparent, and that's what's happening here in terms of just the external, whereas there's so much more to you that's in here. Do you know what I mean? Like when you talk about values, right? Where would values exist in a person? Are they gonna exist in their physical body? Right? Where would you say, if you had to guess, or you would just think for yourself, like where does your sense of value exist? Your ethics, like the philosophy upon which you make your decisions. If we were to just put them in one of these categories, whether you buy into it or not, that's like a separate conversation. But if somebody was to say, you know, honesty is important to me, right? Where does that live within you, that sense of value? You understand the question? Yeah. I feel like it's a combination between intellect and spiritual part. Yeah, right? It can have an overlap. Do you know what I mean? And you live in like a weird time in the prism of modernity where people don't talk so much about personal values anymore. They talk about like companies having values, right? You know, a non-animate entity having a value versus like an individual person having a value. When you talk about the ability to realize something, to have awareness, right? Do you think it's just your physical body that can see how beautiful a flower is, right? What part of you is able to determine what is beauty? Do you get what I mean? Like real beauty. And understanding this at a foundational level, when you're trying to figure out, well, what is the point of this Islam thing anyway? A point of this Islam thing is to get to a place where you can actually see like what is innately beautiful as being beautiful and what is categorically ugly as being ugly. So we're not in a place where we validate and justify like racism, it's always terrible. Inequity, oppression, these kinds of things. And Ramadan is given to his practitioner, not so they just learn how to fast, but the fast brings them to something. And where most of what we spend our year on is just the feeding of our stomach, now it's about, hey, feed like the other stuff. Get what's more important to you to be what is in control. And this is not about like degrading anybody's way of life or being in a place where you live in opposition to any other person in existence, but would you rather be a person who makes a decision through their heart or at their heart's expense? Would you rather be a person who makes decisions through their heart and their mind or through their stomach and their sexual organs alone? And it becomes the basis of a lot of what we see this challenging in the world. 
where people can glorify but also validate conflict and war. They can justify all kinds of things that are deeply problematic. Why somebody could have literally a thousand time greater salary than somebody who's doing most of the work day in and day out and won't get paid less than minimum wage, which isn't even livable wage, if they don't show up to work that day, right? Those are decisions that are made from here, not from up here, where I can intellectualize why I have more than I need, but can continue to have more of it while you have even lesser than any human being should have. Do you, do you get what I mean? And these are important things to think about. It's not us just sitting here and me saying, this is how you wash your hands. Those are important, but they're meant to bring you to places that parts of us that we don't think about so much, we're paying attention to more, and then individually saying, what part of me makes most of my decisions? What part of me is it that is choosing most of my choices? Because you could have like a rhetorical conversation on just a purely theoretical level. But when it comes down to it, and you're out there living in the world, which part of you is what you're really consciously or unconsciously focused most on? And what part of you is in turn then the one that is strongest in exerting control over your decision making, right? And am I making decisions through my heart or am I making decisions through my body? Is my lower self in control? And is it like a tyrant over the rest of my inner state? Or is my heart what is a sovereign and it's keeping this thing at bay? Do you get what I mean? Does that make sense? Okay. What I'd like you to do is just take two minutes, maybe five, turn to the person next to you. What are you taking away from this so far? What is it kind of giving rise to in terms of just the conversation? Then we'll come back and discuss. Go ahead. So what are some of the things you talked about? What are coming up for, for people? Uh, is somebody praying back there? Is it, uh, yeah, we can. Yeah. Thanks, man. So what what are we discussing? Like, what came up in our discussions? What are you taking away from the conversation so far? Yeah. Um, so we talked a lot about like how we make decisions based on the lower self and a lot about our stomach, especially in relation to Ramadan, where like we spent a month fasting and we neglected our stomach for the daylight hours. Um, and how hard it is to go from that lifestyle to like living our regular lives again and maintaining that connection to the soul. Because like we talked about it, we're, we're really looking forward to that Friday morning coffee, and maybe that's not something we should be thinking about as much as we are, but like, it's very hard to like keep that in check and to be mindful of it. Why are you looking forward to the Friday morning coffee? That's a good question. That caffeine hit in the morning is so nice. Okay. And take it to like its most logical conclusion, because you don't want to have a negative cognitive bias that is rooted in understanding something like that through the lower self, right? How can you get to a place where the anticipation of a Friday cup of coffee 
is not seen as if you're lacking in response to Ramadan, but Ramadan actually enhances what that cup of coffee means to you. Do you get what I mean? So how can you reframe it for yourself? Yeah, it can be any of those things. What else? What else can you do that doesn't make you think like, oh man, it's Friday and I'm drinking coffee. Ramadan was pointless, right? That's like the worst conclusion, right? You're like, you can drink coffee, you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, it's like, like taking a quiet moment in the morning, right? Like you sit, like that's like a moment you sit, you have your tea, you have your coffee, like your hot drink, right? Like just to yourself, it's a little mind, mindful space. Do you, how does it feel when you drink that coffee? Does it feel good? Yeah. Yeah, right? How many times have you been able to appreciate the taste and the function of the coffee when you were immersed in drinking it daily without really understanding what it was doing for you? Right? And now you haven't had it for 30 days. And you're in a place where you can make a choice that every time you sip it on Friday morning, you can be like, I know how much my day sucks without this thing. And I'm so grateful that I have this cup of coffee. And then you take it to its most logical conclusion because you're not thinking about it from your stomach and you're not thinking about it from a lower self. But with an awakened heart that went through 30 days of Ramadan, you trickle down right to what is really going on to get you that cup of coffee in your hand. The idea with Ramadan is not to say, I'm never going to eat food again, right? The idea with Ramadan is to get to a place that says, I see the food now differently than how I saw it before. I see like the cup of coffee a little bit different. Go drink coffee, it's not a problem, but you don't want to engage in it absent of the mindfulness that you bring. If you can only understand awareness through the deprivation of something, you can only get to it from a place of leaving it behind for a certain amount of time in order for it to now have that much more presence when you're consuming it, that's like the idea. Do you get what I mean? Do, do, do we get what I mean? I know I talk a lot sometimes, so it doesn't make sense, but do you see what I'm saying? And then you can enjoy the coffee both outwardly and inwardly. You don't have to wake up on Friday and be like, I'm a terrible Muslim, this religion's too hard for me, I should have just stopped being able to drink coffee once Ramadan was done. No man, they're like spiritual masters of this religion, who they would drink tons of coffee, and they write about it. I don't drink coffee, but that's for different reasons. But I'm not you, and you're not me. These guys would drink coffee, these women would drink coffee, purposefully as a mechanism to actually enhance their alertness within the course of their worship. But the paradigm shifts are inward. And that's why the starting point of this conversation was what it was. I'm not trying to be annoying to ask you questions, but so you can think about it. Islam is a thinking person's religion. It's not a religion for people who do not think if you want to get to the depth of it. You gotta be bold enough to actually embrace your mind and your heart. Not be scared to think, but think also in a way that challenges you sometimes. Do you get what I mean? So like you appreciate the coffee and then one day you drink and you're like, how many people had to move for me to just have this cup of coffee? 
how many people had to like get up before the sun was up to go and get these things harvested? How many people had to pack this thing? How many people had to move so that it would just land in this hand that I'm looking at right now? That's what Bismillah means. The Ba in Bismillah, when we say in the name of God, is that you are acknowledging everything that came with this thing coming into your hand. You cannot have that level of mindfulness if you're just a body walking around. Because then it allows for you to open other conversations. How many people are not getting paid fair wages for me to drink this coffee? How many people have unduly inequitous labor practices that they become subservient to so that I could drink this coffee, right? How can I bring more presence into supporting brands that are more ethical in line with the values that are in my heart that can even resonate in a cup of coffee? You can't have that conversation if you didn't drink the coffee in the first place. Do you get what I mean? So the goal is not to never drink coffee again, but the goal is the same way. You can see like the beautiful tree and not pass it without seeing its beauty. You take a pause to engage. That's why we talked about reflection last week. Remember we talked about fikr last week, the ability to reflect and the importance of it. So you can now get to a place where with this, you're thinking about drinking the coffee. Does that make sense? Yeah? What else came up for people? What else were we thinking about? Go ahead. Well, it's also gratitude. I mean, all of this has gratitude that we are able to have our senses and sights and listen and be able to come here and learn and, um, you know, look at the tree and, and be able to see the beauty, you know, or be able to afford a cup of coffee and to be grateful that you're able to afford it. Yeah, and that's, and what I'm saying is, where does gratitude come from? And you might, again, like be like, we don't think about it this way. Does gratitude start from your physical being? And when the overt emphasis is on your job is so that you could feed the physical, your relationships are for the satisfaction of the physical. When you live in a society that teaches you to look at yourself, but not for yourself, becomes very hard to be able to at times just be present to these things state within us. That's what the whole point of Ramadan is, to get you to a place where you start to pay attention to the rest of you, because how you pay attention to what's going on inside of you is going to then enable you to make sense of what's going on outside of you differently. Do you get what I mean? Anything we do on a Wednesday night going forward, this is going to be an integral part to it. When we start talking about prayer and the mechanics of the prayer, all of this is going to be a part to it. When you think about what we talked about months ago, we talked about the chapter of the Quran called Ikhlas, sincerity, that introduces God to us as Ahad. If you remember this, God is uniquely one, right? He's Samad, the eternal refuge. What part of you connects to the divine? When you're praying to God, you can pray with your body. How do you pray with the rest of this stuff? Do you get what I mean? Does that make sense? Okay. Other thoughts? What did you discuss? What came up when you were talking in your groups? Yeah. 
thought about how I'm thinking about the lower self um, and in relation to all these. My therapist always asks me like, am I having my emotions or are my emotions having me? Yeah. Right? So what is driving, what is in control um, in the way that I engage with the world and other people? Yeah, right. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, he has a relative by the name of Ali ibn Abi Talib. He is his close friend. He's in a place where they have a deep connection. Ali, he has many counsels and wisdoms. And one of the things that he says is detachment isn't to not own anything of the world, but detachment is to not let anything of the world own you, right? Does it make sense? Like you possess your possessions. Your possessions don't possess you. You are the one feeling your feelings. So you have to be bigger than your feelings in order to be the one that's feeling them. You don't have to deny them, you can celebrate them. But to get to a place where you can actually celebrate sadness, celebrate grief, <coughs> celebrate anger, you have to pay attention to the place that these things live. Just like you're not any one of your thoughts, because then who's thinking the thoughts? You get what I mean? And in the last like day or two of Ramadan, <coughs> the idea for Muslims is that they now have some element of enhancement to this. Whether they're aware of it or not, it's there. They just fundamentally now can make a decision. Like you will want to make a decision. Am I going to reflect on this consciously or am I going to just let it be something that I experience unconsciously? Like I drink the water, I don't know what it's doing in my body, but I don't have to know what it's doing in my body. But then the challenge is, when it comes time to find meaning from something, you can really easily deflate yourself and you can start to hate yourself for drinking a cup of coffee, which is a normal thing to do, but the ability to find more meaning in it is not an outward process, it's an inward process. That's what Ramadan is seeking to bring to its practitioner. Do, do you get what I mean? Does that make sense? Okay, so whether you come next week or not, we'd love for everybody to come. Just you want to pay attention to yourself and your entirety, you know? You're not like the logos of the clothes that you wear, right? You're not the ornament on the hood of the car that you drive. You're also not just like the job title you have or the degree that you've been given. There's so much more that makes you who you are. And I asked you this question, right? Like, where do your memories exist? Where do your feelings exist? Where is this source, like the starting point of certain things in your personality, your demeanor? And you want to start to get acquainted with these parts of yourselves so that where and how proactively you can kind of make malleable getting to goals that the default isn't that you're bad in your initial state, but what Islam posits is that you're good, but good people can be better, right? That you have growth, even if it's gradual. But if you start to just stop paying attention to things doesn't mean that they're not there and then other things are just going to in their own course be what it is that starts to define and dictate kind of their presence in your decision making do you get what i mean okay so we'll see everyone next week we hope you enjoyed our podcast if you're inspired by the work that we're doing at the ic and want to help keep it going Subscribe to our podcasts, follow us on social media, donate to help support us at icnyu.org, and most importantly, keep us in your continued du'as. Until next time, inshallah.
السلام عليكم